Welcome, welcome to another episode of The Examined Athlete. I'm Clay Reichenbach. I recently received some great advice from an old friend that I should stop reading through bios on these introductions, so I'm going to cut that out. If you want to learn more about what's in the episode or who the guest is, jump on our webpage, jump on Instagram, jump on Twitter, all that information will be there. But I'm just going to tell you a bit about how I felt about these episodes going forward. Today, my guest is Jeff Tarpinian. Jeff is a former linebacker for the Patriots and the Texans, played football at Iowa. And the thing I'd say about this episode is I'm just damn proud of it. I think Jeff was a really powerful guest. He is incredibly eloquent. He is a deep thinker, and his story is incredibly compelling. We get into Tom Brady. We get into his brain surgery in the middle of his career. We get into some life lessons at the end that I found just inspiring coming out of a guy like him. And he tells the story of an undrafted free agent making it on a Super Bowl-bound Patriots roster, which is really a story of just never giving up, a story of determination. I hope you'll listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, the great, the powerful Jeff Tarpinian. Well, Jeff, thanks for being here today, man. I want to start with this Patriots headshot. I understand there's a good <laughs> story behind it, and I encourage all of you listening to go check out <laughs> Jeff's Patriots headshot. In all honesty, you look like a caveman that they woke up and uh, put a football jersey on. Tell us the story behind that. It's funny you say that because uh, there there is a great story, and it ties directly into what you just said. So, yeah, that... That shot, I think, gives a good glimpse into my mentality as a rookie. I was so focused on learning the playbook. It was a lockout year. Every waking moment, I would wake up, study the playbook. Literally didn't comb the hair. Not that my hygiene with my my flowing locks was overly good anyways, but it was one morning they said, hey, Jeff, we got to do a headshot. Okay, sounds good. You know, I'm not... I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about making the team. I'm thinking about I need to learn these plays as quickly as I can. So go in, look absolutely insane. They snap the shot, and uh, that's that's the picture that that showed up. But the funny thing about it was, ended up flash forward making the team practice player of the week. They put your headshot in the cafeteria and and say you know good job that a boy, and, and so everyone can see it. Well, Matt Light on the team, the Patriots, he was a bit of a practical joker. He had replaced my picture with literally the Geico caveman in my Jersey. And so I honestly think there were guys by the end of the season, they didn't know my name. I was just Geico. That was literally my nickname was Geico. (laughs) And then even further, it was Sunday night football. I got a chance to start first game, actually only game I ever started for the Patriots. And typically on Sunday night football, they do the Jeff Tarpinian, Iowa, you do kind of a, a video introduction. I was not a guy that they had anticipated would make the team, let alone start a game. And so everyone else had their, you know, Gerard Mayo, Tennessee, Vince Wilfork, Miami, Jeff Tarpinian. And it was just, there was no audio of me and it was just that headshot. And it was completely <laughs> a still headshot, looked absolutely insane. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, 
that was kind of my introduction to people in the Northeast. I think it even became a joke on local sports talk radio up there. I bet you it became a thing as in, hey, this guy is a, a complete animal. He'll do anything <laughs> for the team. I, yeah, I actually was thinking this may date me was Encino Man when I first saw yeah, it. Yeah, that was Dug, pretty, dug yeah. you up in an ice block <laughs> and then put you on the Patriots and this guy's out there running his head into things. I remember vividly I'd get on the field hey hey geico you know check check and we that was literally how they would refer to me on the field a lot of times that happens in locker rooms often well (laughs) let's start from the beginning jeff where did you grow up so i was born in omaha nebraska but then my dad was in the fbi and he got transferred down here because he had he kind of put in for transfer he wanted to do something a little different go to a big city and so we moved down here for about eight years started playing football in second grade lived in richmond texas Played for the Congrove Hurricanes, just immediately fell in love with the game. I asked my mom recently, I said, did I want to play football growing up? Because people always ask me about my boys now. And she goes, no, you didn't You didn't want to play football. You had to play football. Like you were an aggressive little person. And like that was the best outlet for that. And so I got started early, got plugged in, and then actually moved back to Omaha for high school just in, in eighth grade. Which it's funny, eighth grade's probably if people with kids know it's probably the roughest time to move just because elementary school, everyone's still kind of happy go lucky. High school, you're mature. Eighth grade, kids are pretty tribal. And so it was an interesting time to move, but we moved specifically to kind of identify a school, a high school that would be good to play football at. And uh, so we ended up moving, went to Miller North High School, which if you remember Eric Crouch, Absolutely. Heisman, Heisman Trophy. trophy yeah. So I went to his high school, not the other way around. So I went <laughs> to where he, he is his school and uh, they, they ran the option there. And I, I played quarterback, knew it couldn't throw the ball that well. And that was kind of why we ended up moving where we moved and then got plugged in. So my buddy that I first got plugged in with, he, you know, like I said, kids were tribal at that age. He was a bigger kid. He was offensive lineman, but he was just impressed with the fact that I could eat more than him. He was the guy that got me plugged in, but his brother played quarterback. He was the starting quarterback for Miller North. And so I started going to workouts in eighth grade, got plugged in with the school and uh, kind of went on from there. Great, great school, great coaches and, and had a chance to, to end up starting quarterback. Playing well, there. I imagine you were already quite the athlete. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did that help with the transition? Usually, if you come in in a state like Nebraska and you're a football player and a physical specimen, if you will, that helps with making friends. Is that true for you? I mean, it, it does, but it's it's just different, right? Even you know, you move in in eighth grade, and it's you know, who's this new guy? What's his deal? And I, I didn't actually play with the middle school team. I played on a select team and so I got made fun of and it's funny all these guys are my buddies now but they would kind of give me a hard time wearing the select jersey in eighth grade and you're just trying to figure things out but uh ended up yeah really connecting kind of hit my stride in high school and and had a great group of friends did you move because of your dad's job in the FBI yeah so he he got transferred to Houston because of the FBI and then my my mom's family was from Omaha and so she always wanted to move back and so that's why we ended up moving back to Omaha is Having a dad in the FBI as cool as it sounds. I mean, are there any stories there that? <laughs> oh, I mean, in, in my mind, it was always, yeah, he was a superhero and probably not quite reality. Uh, when you're growing up and you're a kid, you think your dad's fighting bad guys every day. But uh, no, he he did a lot of interesting things. He actually just retired this past year um, and had a, had a great career. Did a lot of 
drug trafficking, America's most wanted type work down here in Houston. And then up in the Midwest, he did a lot more white collar crime initially, and then kind of sex trafficking, child wow. pornography okay. type stuff. So You mentioned football from the start. Were there other sports or was it football all the way for you? Yeah. So I, I was a, uh, played a little bit of basketball, but I was more of a defensive specialist, steal the ball, run, get a layup. I, I couldn't foul out in two quarters. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. I, I could tell pretty quickly my, my hand eye and my just overall finesse wasn't quite right for basketball. And then baseball, I liked it, but I liked it more about being with my buddies. I mean, you know, baseball, you hang out in the dugout. There's, there's nothing better than, than kind of, having a good time with your buddies, going out there playing, but you get a lot of downtime. And so I kind of realized I wasn't wasn't ever going to have a future in it. And so I actually stopped that pretty early. I want to say I stopped playing baseball in fifth grade. Jeff, when I think of an NFL linebacker, and you can correct me if this is wrong, my perception is the most gifted physically athletes on the planet, meaning you can lift with the linemen, you can run with the wide receivers, in high school, does that description fit you? Were you early on a standout physical athlete? So I'd say in the NFL, it's I'd say outside linebackers probably fit that category. Those dudes, I mean, I wasn't those guys. <laughs> I was never that guy. Certainly gifted athletically, but the, the DNs, the outside linebackers, those are the guys where other NFL guys certainly would just, yeah, they, they got to be able to do both, right? They got to be able to take on a 330 pound pulling guard and they got to be able to drop into coverage, move around, flip their hips, pass rush. And so those are the guys typically I look at as being the just otherworldly athletes. Yeah. I, so I played quarterback when I was in high school and it was one of those things where a lot of times down you here. You didn't even play on the defensive side of the I ball. I did not play. I did not play defense. Oh, so, wow. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't play defense. We ran the option. I didn't, I didn't know what cover one meant. Like we had very good, great system, but it was all right. You know, you kind of read the end. What's he do? You, you hand off to the fullback or you pull it, run the option. And so I was pretty clueless. Does the University of Nebraska require that of all? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Yeah. There's a, certainly a lot of schools that, that did that growing up in the nineties. And, 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 you know, I was a diehard Cornhusker fan and, and a lot of high schools run a similar system. And so my football IQ on defense was just, and, and not because it wasn't available. I just, I focused on quarterback. My thing was, all right, I want to be the best option quarterback I can be. I never thought about next steps per se. I just said, if I take care of what I can control that's right in front of me, then everything else will take care of itself after that. We talk about confidence a ton on this show. And for a lot of the athletes, I think the self-confidence starts on the field. Were you a confident athlete? Were you confident off the field? What kind of kid were you in high school? Yeah, so I'd say certainly confident on the field. I had a coach, this is a good saying, he would always say, what comes first, success or confidence? And you kind of sit there and think about it and he goes, who gives a shit, get to work. That was kind of his thing. And so he's <laughs> That's like, good. yeah, so like that was always my mentality is like, I'm going to go work. I'm going to go give it everything I have, see what happens, pick my head up. And then, yeah, but certainly over time you need a certain level of confidence as an athlete, as a elite athlete in college, professionally, almost borderline, you know, not rational, just because 
there's a lot that can go wrong. There's other grown men on the opposite side of the ball that are trying to beat you to take your job or get you kicked off the team, get you fired. And so you, you really have to be confident and a lot of things can, can go wrong. Certainly confidence is something that over time, I think developed and the mental toughness of putting in the work, understanding kind of the psychology behind playing and performing certainly helped and was a big part of the game that I think maybe you don't even realize what's happening or what you're going through when you're younger. But when you get to college professionally, that is such a huge part of the game. I, I think that, you know, as far as nutrition, strength training, X's and O's, got your coaches, you should have a, a mental toughness psychology coach almost right there with you to get you through you know what you're going through as an athlete I, i've done a number of these and almost every time you mentioned overconfidence hubris comes up yeah and i agree with you you certainly do not want to feel entitled yeah because you, you have to put in the work yep but you better believe almost be delusional as as you said that you can achieve things that aren't typically achieved or else you're not going to get there so i think that's great so eventually you hit your stride you're the 2005 nebraska gatorade player of the year which in a state like nebraska i imagine is a pretty big deal and then you end up at iowa again i guess you're coming in as a quarterback that then transitions to the defensive side of the ball Talk to us about coming into Iowa. What was your mentality? What was your confidence level? What was your thought process there? Yeah, so one of the reasons I even chose Iowa to begin with is because they had a history of converting high school linebackers into other positions. And so I knew and they knew I had no business playing quarterback in D1 football in the Big Ten. You'd seen that they'd been able to do that. Chad Greenway was a name that they would throw around a lot. Rightfully so. He was an unbelievable player, unbelievable professional athlete. He played quarterback in high school. That was something where I got on campus. Like I said, I was pretty clueless. I had to kind of learn from the ground up what cover one meant. I just didn't know the X's and O's on the defensive side of the ball. I never had to read it from the offensive side of the ball. And so there was a lot of learning. And I played safety when I first got there. But they knew I think I was 195, 200 my senior year of high school about 200 when I got on campus. By the time I finished my freshman year, redshirted, I was 215. And so you can kind of see the path. You're going to start moving closer to the ball. You keep putting on weight. Ended up playing linebacker, but it, it was a transition, right? I knew that I wasn't going to add a lot of value my first couple of years as a, as a linebacker. And so special teams is how I was like, all right, I can go run down on kickoffs, run down on punts. Like I can do that. That's how I got on the field. And that's, majority of my time on the field at Iowa until about my senior year where I started starting playing linebacker that's how I was on the field with special teams and I think that that helped the next level because when you get to the NFL you got guys who maybe started a linebacker for three four years but they show up and it's like well no Gerard Mayo Brandon Spikes Dante Hightower those are the linebackers you got to play special teams if you want to make this team when I got there I kind of knew that I said okay certainly I'm going to learn the playbook, know how to play each position of linebacker so they can throw me into a game, get through a game. But like I have no arrogance myself that I'm, I'm above special teams blocking on a punt, doing those types of things. And so that time at Iowa, I think helped me for the next level of saying like, listen, you got to blocking on punts statistically in the NFL. If you get a punt blocked, you lose the game. 
So it was a very important to me. It seems kind of grittier. No one really cares. Everyone maybe fast forwards that part of the game. Very important play. And, and that from Iowa, I think that time on special teams helped me have a chance to make it in the NFL. The fun thing for me hearing you speak about your journey is professional athletes weren't necessarily on that path from a young age. Even at 18, 19, 20 years old, you're not the person people are looking to and pointing to and saying, hey, this guy's going to play linebacker in the NFL. That's a story I keep hearing over and over again. Oh, it's it's so like when I said I was focused on what was right in front of me, that's 100% true. Even in high school, I was looking back, I was just so naive of the whole process. I was, I think it was before my junior year, a couple buddies, they were going down to a rivals camp to run run their times, run 40s, and they test you at rivals.com, all that. I didn't really know what all that was about. I didn't know what they would be testing me. And they said, you should do this. And they're like, I think I was like last minute, like, ah, I, I should probably go down there. And so they go and stay the night before they get a hotel. They'd probably done way more research than I had done. And not to say that, you know, they did a bunch of work not to amount to anything. I mean, they, those guys both went D1, but I drove up the morning of with my brother down to M- Manhattan, Kansas. So it was at K-State. I think it was the the Burger King chicken sandwich that had the long bread. They had like a breakfast sandwich at that time. I thought that was smart to just crush one of those, like right before I went out and ran my 40 and did a bunch of workouts, ate that, just the worst thing you could possibly eat and uh, go out there and ended up running pretty decent times and then kind of figure out maybe I got a chance. And so, yeah, but no, certainly along the way, even at Iowa, it was the same mentality of let's focus on what's right in front of me. Didn't ever think like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play in the NFL. Like, obviously, I mean, certainly some guys have that mentality and does, you know, works for them, but that was never kind of my approach throughout the whole process. And obviously you were a good athlete, but so many stories I hear, I guess what I'm saying, a lesson for young athlete is that guys that play in the NFL, girls that run in the Olympics, yeah. you know, guys that play in the NMLB are telling me the same story that 18, 19 years old, they didn't think of themselves as a prospect. They didn't think of themselves as world-class, even physically, but they kept working and then eventually became that which i think is not what most people think most people think you're mike trout and at (laughs) 15 years old we knew you were mike trout well that's true for mike trout but that's one percent of these leagues the rest of the guys that are having really good careers are still busting their tail and not quite there until later in life well a couple of things stuck out to me about your time at iowa number one I think you were academic all-conference all four years, academic all-American a year or two, and you were an accounting major, which I imagine was unique on the football team. The other thing was you had a number of injuries. But talk about taking the student part of student-athlete seriously. Was that unique for you? Was that important for you? Was that a big part of who you saw yourself as, not just a football player, but as a student there on campus? Yeah, no, certainly – it was important. And it's funny, I think my senior year, I won the best student award of the football team. And I said, that's kind of like being the most athletic guy on the chess team. What's it really get you? But it was something where it was important. And I'd say certainly at the beginning of my career, when it was less football, redshirted, didn't start, it was easier to focus. I mean, anyone that's played D1 sports knows it's a full-time job. It's hard to do both. You have to make it a priority. And I'd say it wasn't perfect for me, certainly along the way of getting that balance right. 
but it, it was something that I knew that would last much longer than than my athletics. But I I still tried to pour into both as much as I could and, and balance it. But yeah, it was it was challenging, but it was something that I knew that would serve me well if I do both. So. How would you describe your years at Iowa athletically, specifically your last couple of years? Would you say that you were an NFL prospect? So yeah, so I didn't I did not start a game at linebacker until my senior year. And so wow, I'd say okay. absolutely not leading up to that point. I knew that I could have a chance. Certainly there were injuries and things, but everyone gets injured. If if you're if you're good enough and you can put enough on film, you, you get a shot. And so my thing was like, all right, my senior year, earn the starting role, just go out and perform, try to be a be a leader, be a good teammate and and put something good on film. And uh again, that was just right in front of me. And it got it got injured again my senior year, but I remember it was scouts could be able to come to practice certain days from the NFL and and Adrian Claiborne was the you know he was going to be the the first round draft pick from Iowa that year heck of a player he would say hey you know my agent or whoever they would they would be asking me who's who's this guy with this thing on his hand I had a broken hand you know I haven't seen him play much he didn't see much tape he's flying around a little bit and making some plays and so I said huh that's interesting but again, I didn't think much of it until I got done with my senior year, done with the bowl game. I said, all right, I've got a chance. Probably wouldn't get drafted, but why not? I've put so much into this, blood, sweat, and tears, mental, mental emotional, physical energy into this for so many years. Why not devote 100% of everything right now and see what happens and just insanely disciplined so my senior year ends I had some buddies that were going through the same process of getting ready for the combine getting ready for the draft and it was the lockout year and so we insanely dedicated our our eating was didn't eat one thing of fast food one poor calorie in our diet we trained two three times a day we did our strength and conditioning we trained for the 40 like everything we did in our life and I wasn't in school at the time. I graduated that December. And so everything we did, every waking moment, yoga, swimming, boxing, was focused on getting me ready to have a chance to run good times at, at my pro day. I didn't even get invited to the combine. That's that's where I said, let's let's just see what happens. And so you were just laser focused on this is my one opportunity in life to try to do something special and I'm gonna give it everything I had, regardless of how my college career. Yeah. Owed it, you say you owe it to yourself, but owe it to people that have poured into you, your coaches, they've, they've given you your family, they've given you the chance to, to do all these things. It's like, I would be kind of selfish not to see this through. Well, and you go back to a little bit of hubris there, a little bit of <laughs> in business. I've heard, I read a business book about making space for delusion yeah. in companies that if you don't <laughs> make space for things that are unlikely to happen, you're never going to achieve great things. And that's kind of what I'm hearing here is I'm going to make space for a little bit of delusion. I didn't have an amazing career at Iowa, but if I don't make space for something amazing to happen, it's not going to happen, which I think is a great lesson. Talk to me a little bit about what it means to be an undrafted free agent, specifically the process. So where teams actively pursuing you, were you putting tape together and actively pursuing teams? How does that whole process work? This was a different process because it was the lockout year. So draft day, 
I think maybe explain yeah. what a lockout year is. You've said that a couple of times. Yeah. So the NFLPA and the the owners were button heads over who knows what different various things, revenue share, all that. And so the players were on strike. Players were on strike. Players were not going to off season. There were no mini camps. They were not communicating with coaches. Everyone was out doing their own thing. And so there was even, you know, talks, you knew they were going to figure it out, but what, what happens with the season? They figured it out, but it took until July right before mini camp. And so I went from April not getting drafted. And I got a few calls that day, but I think they were calls just to say, maybe he'll be interested in us when he's a free agent and we get to sign him because they couldn't communicate with us until the lockout ended. And so that would be July. And so didn't get drafted, had to continue that mindset of like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it everything I have, continue to train. No clue where I'm going to go. The day the lockout ends, I probably got calls from 20 different teams, coaches. Coach. Wow. So you were on their radar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I did some pre-draft visits because I didn't do the combine too. So they, they had me out to their facilities. I went to the Jets, the Raiders, Houston, um, and then the Bills. And they just check your body. I had an injury history. They had to do all the scans, MRIs, all that. And so I could tell, yeah, there was certainly interest. And so, you know, I wasn't foolish. It's funny. I started dating my now wife during the time and, you know, unemployed, not in school saying, well, I'm training for the NFL. And she's like, yeah, me too. You know, like <laughs> good, you know, what does that mean? But I, I could tell there was some interest. And so going through all that, the lockout ends in July, you get all these calls. It's bizarre because they just drafted a guy in the first round, gave him millions of dollars. And they're, they're talking to you like you're some big five-star recruit. They're going to pay you a $10,000 signing bonus and probably cut you in a month. But they're acting like, you know, we got to have you. And they're, they're trying to fill out their 90-man roster. And so you get these pitches and you get these things. But Coach Belichick called me. And I remember what he said. He, he referenced very specific plays and specific things I did against specific teams and just said, didn't blow a bunch of smoke at me. He just said, you know, I liked some things you did here. I think there's a chance you could help our team. And that was it. And then, huh, that was interesting. Other ones were putting the, oh, you got a chance. You're going to make this team. You know, you, we're, we're going to, we, we need you, da, da, da. And I was like, he'd watched this film. He referenced a specific play. It's Coach Belichick. The Patriots, just at that time, now, currently, still, they're just the dynasty, the prestige of, of that organization. I said, okay, if I can get a chance to make that team, I think it could serve me well just going forward and having a chance to continue to make rosters. It was clear he wasn't blowing smoke. He was being honest with you. Yeah. Not, not telling you you're going to make the team, but it was also clear that this guy had done his research, which I think speaks to Bill uh, Yeah, he put, he put some thought and time into what he was saying. And, and yeah, it was, it was something where it just it stuck with me. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go there. Well, so, I certainly want to get into later what makes him – Great, yeah. but we'll hold that for a bit. But that may be one of the things is his attention to detail. So, again, the Patriots of all teams give you a call and tell you they're interested and want to sign you. So you are clearly doing something right. Walk me through that call, that experience, that we're ready to sign you. We're what turned out to be a Super Bowl-bound team. Your first few weeks, maybe month on the roster, where your mind is. So maybe yeah. start when they when they reach out to you, walk me through that call. What was that like to hear the Patriots of all teams are interested in signing you? So you get the call the next day, 6 a.m. flight 
to Boston. Get to Boston. And the call is, hey, we're ready to sign you and we make want you to an sign offer. You. I said, okay. Yeah. And that, that was, you know, I, I I think I called him back, but I had to give it 15 minute conversation with the parents, girlfriend, talk it through. But then it was like, all right, let's go. And so the next day you're on a flight. And when I say, you know, no mini camp, like people don't realize, especially for rookies, you're going in to compete against grown men who know the playbook, know everything. You get there and you got to learn what you're doing. And, and certainly Iowa prepared me well. They have great coaching staff running NFL style organization, but it's just more complex and there's more into it. It's more detailed and and just it, it's just another level of studying the playbook, understanding what we're trying to do, what we're trying to get accomplished. And so I show up, you know, you get through all the signing, do all that, pay you 10,000 bucks or whatever. Oh, that's, that's nice. That was a ton of money for me at the time. But, uh, you kind of say, all right, we're going like, and that's one of the things that they said is they said, this is a unique year. The train's moving. We're not waiting. We're, we need, we have stuff we're trying to get done. We don't, we're not waiting for anybody here. And another thing that they do there that Belichick sits all the rookies down and he goes, you know, who here won a national championship? And there's, you know, somebody from Alabama raises their hand. And then who here was an all American in high school? Who here was state champion? Guys raise their hand. And he goes, all right, I don't give an F about any of that. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what you're going to do tomorrow. I care what you do right now in this moment to help this team get better. Hearing that as an undrafted guy, it's encouraging because you're like, well, good, because I don't have a lot of that stuff that those other guys had. And I'd say for the most part, he lives up to that. Certainly, they'd never cut a first rounder because of the investment there. But the year I was there, they cut a fifth round linebacker and I made the team. And so that was that was encouraging. And I kind of knew that going into it, that that was their mentality. But literally, when I said every waking moment, I joke back to that picture was studying the playbook. I said, this is a, a very unique window where if I can just be a little bit ahead and, and show them that I can understand three linebacker positions and, and at least they can throw me out there, I won't screw something up, that can show value. Whereas I may not have had that advantage or had that window to create that advantage if it was a normal year. So that was my mentality. It's like, all right, special teams, do everything I can, go in, watch film, understand that, but then I'm going to know all these positions. And I think the first preseason game I had there, somebody got hurt and I ended up playing. I was practicing, I think at will most of the time I had to play the different inside linebacker position, which they're similar, but there's differences. And I, they threw me in there. I hadn't practiced it at all. And I knew what I was doing. I made all the calls, got the defense lined up, made a few plays. And they said, that's the NFL. There's only 53 guys on the roster. You're going to have to get thrown in there sometimes. And you got to be able to perform and get us through a game. Is that what made you stand out physically you certainly had some talents I don't know where you were compared to the other linebackers but do you think it was your ability to come in prepared that made you stand out I've watched enough HBO hard knocks to know (laughs) an undrafted linebacker chance of making the team is slim yeah yeah especially for a Bill Belichick defense was that it what what was it that that, led I to an undrafted yeah. free agent making the team a Super Bowl bound team. Yeah, I think that certainly helped. Yeah, like physically, like I said, going back to that confidence of working and focusing and doing everything you can. Nothing about my work ethic or attitude was ever going to change my skeletal structure. Like Brandon Spikes was always just going to have a massive skull and be able to take on blocks in a way that I probably just never could. But to you, 
as you're going through it, you don't tell yourself that you just say, well, if I just keep focused on these things, I can improve here. I can do this. I can go out there and be out there with those guys. Knowing that gave me a chance to make the team. But even then, the the funny thing about New England is their whole mantra is you never make this team. And then for the bottom third of the roster, it's 100 percent true. People don't realize like, you know, you see the guys at the top half, top third, that those are the staples. Those are the guys that are there, especially that year because it was a lockout year. There's a lot of turnover and guys cut coming and going practice squad. I even my first couple of years, second year, I bounced back and forth between active and practice. And so it was something where it was just so singularly focused on doing everything I could to focus on what was in front of me and, and just saying, I'm like, I said, see what happens and ended up making it one of the terms quotes from the texans to describe you their coaching staff was that you were fearless what you're describing to me is a thinking man you knew the plays you knew where you were supposed to be you had a good head on your shoulders yet they described someone that would run through a wall (laughs) did you have a flip i've heard especially players on the defensive side of the ball talk about this switch they flip yeah did you have that where you turned into someone different at some point once you got on the field special teams you kind of have to be that way a little bit you run down you got guys that can come blindside you you trying to chase down a guy that runs four two four three you got to have a little bit of a few screws loose and so yeah certainly had that part of my game as well you had a few screws loose yeah (laughs) yeah i just that that certainly goes back to the mental toughness i think iowa prepared me for that just to have a certain mentality about playing special teams and then again i'd say just the humility but just the finding the meaning and the value in special teams and how important that job is that's something that i think really helped too whereas you had guys that Maybe didn't play special teams in college because they were out there starting linebacker. That's how I got on the field. And so I I had no shame about myself. Like, I, yes, that's what I'm going to go do. Like, this is an important job. I want to do this job well. I focus on it. I want to, that's my craft. That I think helped too is if you're not a starter, especially as a linebacker, you got to be a core special teams guy. That was the one thing that, that I think helped me. So you make the, you make the Patriots roster, which is a huge accomplishment. You had to be ecstatic. But beyond that, you start to contribute on special teams. You even had a start, which is a huge accomplishment. And then seven games into your rookie year, in practice, you have an incident. What happens? Yeah. So, yeah. So, that was that Sunday night football game. I think the next game was going to be Monday night against the Chiefs. It was probably going to start again on defense. And it certainly it was not like this guy's – beating out everybody it was there was injuries and things but that's the nfl you got to be able to start and, and know what you're doing and so i was having a a chance to start again and then it was after practice one day it's funny the was doing an extra drill with aaron hernandez at the time and i i remember looking at him and all of a sudden my, my arms locked up like i was getting tased and i just slowly the lights started going off and i passed out for about a minute he was standing over me and he I'm trying to get me to come to but yeah then the trainers got me and I was so again you never make the team you got to perform you got to be out there you can't make the club in the tub I said all right let me go shower up I'll, I'll be in the film room watch practice and they're like no you need to go to mass general we need to get you checked out and I'm like no no I'm, I'm fine like that was nothing and trying to downplay it just probably 
to my own detriment, I was, was just saying, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And the training staff did a great job. They That's said, no. the athletes. Mentality. Yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. you have to be like. I mean, you, you fight through so much. People don't realize every guy you see out there on Sunday is not a hundred percent. They're hurting. Um, and so that's, that's just like, no, I'm good. Like I'm going to move on to the next thing. And then they sent me to the hospital to do a bunch of tests. It took two or three weeks. That's what I read. I, yeah. You had three weeks of blood, heart test, yeah. brain test what for three weeks. Yeah. What the heck's going on? And you're just in limbo at this point trying to figure out, was that a scary time or were you still going, Hey, let me get back on the field. What? Yeah. That, that was, I was always kind of asking like, all right, well, can we, and it was just kind of like, they'd have to shut it down. And, and over time you kind of realistically understand that's, that's what's best for you. And you need people like that to step in and tell you that. Yeah. So they, they, they ended up finding out it was a collection of blood vessels in my cerebellum. It's called a cavernous malformation, which I never heard of. It actually wasn't football related. It was something I was born with and it had started to potentially where it was going to start bleeding. And they said, it's not if, but when you have a stroke, probably think it'll happen in your thirties, but you will have a stroke with what's going on back there. And I said, huh, okay. Well, can we do anything? And fortunately just a God thing or whatever, being a Massachusetts mass general, you have some of the best doctors on the planet looking at you. Patriots were fantastic during the whole process. Belichick was, you know, he gets a hard rap about being a tough nosed guy. I remember he called me before I went into my surgery and he was checking on me and talked through putting me on injury reserve. And so, yeah, they were, they were fantastic. Got me figured out what was going on. They said, yes, we can do surgery. It's fortunately in a place that's easy to operate. It's a worse place to have the cavernous malformation. It's more likely to cause problems, but it's an easier place to get to. So if you didn't find this, is it life-threatening, the stroke you would have had in your 30s? Yeah, I mean, it certainly could have done some serious damage to my health and potentially, yeah. And so it was very very fortunate that I was where I was. And who knows, if I was a CPA sitting at a desk, I may not have been under the exhaustion and, and gone through something to make me have that episode where they figured it out. As I was researching you, I did some research on the cerebellum. Yeah. It controls motor function. It controls speech. It controls attention. Yeah. That didn't scare you at all. And by the <laughs> way, you hadn't really got into the details. So yeah. your surgery includes going in through the neck, opening up your skull, and removing blood vessels from your brain. Yeah. That had to shock you had to make you think had to scare you yeah didn't it yeah so it's funny again so singularly focused on just getting better and i tried to downplay everything and it was the mental toughness almost too far into stoicism at that time but i would just say well it's you know cavity you gotta take care of it let's just get rid of it and i I would like joke and my parents and my girlfriend thought I was insane, but I was like, yeah, it's no big deal. But there were certain times where you, you kind of realize, yeah, it's your heart or your brain a little different than blowing out a knee. Um, and you so probably you, expect a knee, you expect a yeah. shoulder, but you're wait a sec. And you may even expect a concussion. Yeah. But the fact that I need to open up my skull and perform brain surgery has to come out of left field. Yeah, no, certainly it does. And my faith helped with going through that and figuring out makes you take a step back and say, yeah, there's nothing guaranteed. I could be done tomorrow. And so, you know, you can take that one of two ways. And I think it did kind of help my mentality coming out of it. Almost a sign of a sense of relief. Like, you know, I don't need to be so stressed out all the time. Like this could end tomorrow. 
It's it's not as big a deal as as you maybe make it and put it on yourself. Let's just continue to to work and put into all this, but kind of give you a, a different perspective. And I think that's the one thing that did help is it did give me a different perspective of ultimately it is a game, but I, I love the game. I, I think football is a great game mentally, physically, emotionally in a team setting. There's no other sport that challenges you in those three dimensions. And so it made me realize I do love football and I, I think it is worth it. And, you know, obviously the doctors say you're okay and, and you're good. I want to give it a chance and go keep playing. And so I did, I was able surgery. It's funny in my caveman brain, I was like, all right, done my knee. I've done shoulders. I've done hands. You know, this will be nothing. Done pelvic bone. This is just, you know, I can still move. I can still six hour surgery. One of the worst surgeries. I felt like absolute death that next two weeks, like just curled up. You can't really even walk. They told me I couldn't really walk or do much of anything for a good month there. Shave all the hair off, lose the hair. And uh big, yeah, the, you know, looked like Frankenstein, big scar. Well, in it's the back brain of my, surgery. Yeah, yeah. It just, it, in my mind, it's just such an idiot. I thought, you know, it's not a big deal. It was, it was certainly the most challenging surgery I'd had just because it was, I mean, think about the pain you have in your shoulder. It's, it's isolated to that area. Well, this is like anytime you think it's just throbbing back there and just a, not a pleasant feeling. So um, the recovery is basically migraines all day is that what you were feeling a little bit yeah going back to your academic career academic all-american you could clearly do other things during that time were you ever going hey i can do other things or were you just laser focused on getting back on the field still laser focused yeah. i I knew that i did love the game i loved the way it challenged me i love a lot of things about it and so yeah i didn't want to make it a big public thing i don't think it was even really in the media about exactly what had happened because New England does a good job of that. And it's funny, they're very tight on injuries and certainly they got requirements that they have to report per NFLPA and NFL rules, but they do a good job of like protecting guys. They, they were protecting their guys. They don't want something to get out or, or people to start talking. And so I think even when I got to Houston, that was the first thing they brought up and it was kind of like, well, they got into it and it, it can scare you if you're signing and somebody to be on your team, if they've had brain surgery, can give them a pause on, do we want this guy out there? Is this going to be a liability? Something happens to him. Are we going to be, they did a good job. And then I also had great doctors that did say, no, he's fine. He he can go out and play. And it's something I did want to do. And so I said, let's keep going. And so that's was, was kind of that new perspective and just keep pushing through, gave me a chance to prolong the career, even when I've caught on with the Texans. Well, you alluded to the lessons you learned, and I read a quote, which I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember it exactly, was that it highlighted that you couldn't control outcomes, which yeah. I think is a lesson that typically we learn late in life. And for you to learn it at 23 is yeah. maybe a silver lining here that, hey, I can bust my ass. I can yeah. put in all the effort. I can study as much as I want. But that doesn't guarantee the outcome I want. Absolutely. I, yeah. That is a, a lesson that I think is really, really important to learn. And the fact that you learned it young is valuable because I learned it at 38. I'm still trying to learn it. And it's, and it's true though, that although all of that mental energy, attitude, effort can amount to no results, doesn't mean that that's not meaningful. All of that, you still like, there is meaning in that. There is it certainly can give you purpose and 
can drive you and and all of that is very important. And you can't just say, well, well, just because things may not work out doesn't mean none of that matters. Like, no, that's very important still. But you you realize if you have your identity outside of your what you do as as an athlete and, and you have it in something else and then you can still have meaning and purpose through your work, it just allows you to say, no matter what, even if it doesn't work out, I'll be okay. This is what I do and what I do is important, but it's not who I am. Well, a few episodes back, Philip Umber, major leaguer who threw a perfect game, said something very similar. Yeah. The fact that he found out the hard way that hard work doesn't always win the way you want it to. Yeah. And as you were saying, the, the thing we talked about was the only way hard work always wins is if the work itself is the win, yeah. which is exactly what you were just saying. Again, I think and it's the a great best, lesson. Yeah, the best coaches too say focus on the process. Cause, which is hard to yes, do, by the way. Yes, absolutely. And because you, you can get lucky and things can bounce your way. You may be messed up your assignment, but you, you got through somehow and you made a play. Like, but focus on the process. Process over time will produce results. And 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 certainly, if your expectation is, you know, I want to impress fans or I want to impress even certainly you want to do what your coaches tell you to do and you have to. But you know that if I didn't give it all on film that week or taking care of my body, that's on you. And that you still may end up getting through that game and having a good game. But still, that was important and you shouldn't have overlooked that process. So you end up making your way back to the Patriots and you're on a team that's headed to the Super Bowl. Football is clearly one of the most physical sports on the planet, but I think the Patriots highlight that it's also a thinking man's game. Yeah. Talk to me about what made those teams special. What makes the Patriots special in particular? Yeah. So yeah, certainly the organization First class, a lot of things they do well, sports staff, everything. I think Belichick's big thing is every single game, he identifies three to five key things about that week. We need to do these three to five things, and if we do, we'll win. And so you'll notice, you'll watch Patriots games, and they typically take out the best assets of the other team. Those guys on the other team will have down games. They say, we're not going to let Julio Jones beat us. Julio Jones may still beat you because he's a phenomenal player and, and that's why he's great. But th- that's that's kind of the goal of what they do. And and every week's different. So their playbook's obviously expansive, but it can get very detailed and you can change week to week where one week, you know, the Patriots look like they're a running team. The next week they're five wide coming out of the gate and they just do so much and put so much stress on you from multiple positions. And they they do that in a way by getting their athletes to say, they're not thinking about all these other things. So they had to try to figure out every position, what's going on. Like you're very much like, what's my job? Do your job right in front of you. Very well lined out. You need to do this, this, and this, and your role. And this will help us win this week. You have 53 guys doing that, but on a broader scale, they have a bigger plan and things we need to do. It ends up working out. And certainly their film work is impressive. I remember my rookie year, It'll be like a Wednesday, which is your first day. You get Monday's your recovery day. Watch watch the film from the game before. Tuesday's your off day. Wednesday you show up. You know, you'd be at a seven a.m., six thirty a.m. meeting, team meeting. Coach Belichick say, "Hey, hey, Jeff, who's their L four on kickoff? How much does he weigh? What's their number one kickoff return?" And you got to answer in front of the other guys, or be like an idiot. And so you have already prepared and watched film and know your opponent 
going into that first meeting where you sit down to study and, and talk about them and how we're going to attack them that week. All of that, certainly having a guy like Tom Brady helps as well. When you have that type of leader, I mean, you saw it last year with what he did with Tampa Bay, which is just unbelievable. I think I don't think that's should we talk if you have a sports talk radio show, I think you should talk about that every week and just how incredible what he did this past year was. But he lifts and elevates guys. And it's it sounds silly, but you'd be out there and it'd be third and twelve and you got your punt team. You know, I'd go over there and get ready to run on the field and we'd all look at each other and be like, Tom's got it. He gets the first down, like just raises the confidence of the entire group. And then all of a sudden he got he got the third and twelve. He goes down and they score. Then you have a, a just a confident group of guys running in on kickoff after they just scored. And that's how the complimentary football works and happens in New England is when you have a guy like that leading it. Well, you mentioned at the very start that five things, four things, yeah. simplicity. What most people don't realize is there's a whole lot of work to make something simple. And that's kind of the lesson I'm hearing there. But let's get into Tom Brady. You played with the greatest quarterback of all time. What is it about Tom that, should I call him Tom? What is it about Tom Brady that makes him so special? I know you've told me some stories offline about him looking at your eyes and coming over and saying, hey, Jeff, you're giving away what your defensive defensive." Yeah. No, I think think those are the best stories to tell because there's been people that have been closer with him, more intelligent people that have said things about what makes him great. But just some of those stories I remember is, yeah, being out there. And I was a scout team linebacker because I had to show them the defense. So I'd sit down with the offensive coordinator every week. We'd have to say, this is what we need to show. And so Brady, one day, he just comes over and he's like, hey, you know, I'm third down. I can I can tell your eyes kind of shift over a little bit. And I know it's man. So I just checked to a man beater. There's so much mental exhaustion, so much physical exhaustion, so many other things he has to focus on. But he sees the linebacker's eyes and just can very briefly tell that he looked over and one he way. Knows what coverage he knows in. what coverage you're in without even trying to undress you with emotion, which they do a really good job of that in New England. But just stuff like that. He's just so on it. His his film work, I remember it was really late in the season and we were talking about blitzes. Some team runs in the red zone and he referenced a blitz. That, that this team runs and Belichick's like, they didn't, they didn't run that. And he's like, you know, week two, play 37, look it up. He just, he Brady knows. called out Belichick. Yeah. He, you know, <laughs> week two, pull it up and he pulled it up and it was like, son, they ran this blitz one time the whole year and it was week two and it That's was awesome. way at the end of the season. So like he certainly prepares and you've seen the things he does with his body. And I'd, I'd say it's hard to knock anything he does. I mean, he's defying age and, and just overall. What he's done is incredible. And he, so, was, yeah. <laughs> he was on a podcast that I listened to recently for about an hour and a half. And the one thing I took away was the simplicity of his mentality. Yeah. He said, I don't focus on being the best. Yeah. I focus on being my best. Yeah. And I thought here, here's the greatest quarterback of all time. And he spends no time worrying <laughs> about being the greatest quarterback of all time. He spends no time comparing himself to others. He's not worried about being the best. He's worried about his best. And it occurred to me that I don't know if he gets there without that mentality. And I think that was such a lesson to me. Forget about the best. Yeah. Just be the best you can be. That's what Tom Brady's doing. And I, 
that's to me was wonderful. It's funny. I was thinking it was my third off season and I was sitting there and uh, kind of realized that they had been, that it was kind of a thing, but Belichick would call out Brady and just let him have it. You know, you're not doing this. This is terrible. You're going to get us beat. I realized he was just setting the tempo of like, nobody's off limits, but nobody was harder on themselves than Brady. I mean, that's, that's why is, is he, he had a standard that elevated everyone else's standard that you said, you don't have to worry about that guy. He, he's got a standard of himself that's just unmatched. So after your Patriot years, you make your way to Houston. And is it fa- it's fair to say those are your most productive years in the NFL? Absolutely, right? yeah. Did you ever get to a point where you felt secure in your roster spot? Were you always feeling like you were grinding to make a roster? Or Yeah, there wasn't one day I walked into the complex because they, they did it strategically at the time in New England where you'd walk in by bears and, and Belichick and you just, you're just waiting. Hey, Hey Jeff, bring your playbook. He doesn't want to talk about the plays. He's it's your cut. And so there wasn't one time I walked through that building and just felt like, Hey, I got a spot here. I'm, I'm good. And honestly, you don't really want that. <laughs> if you're the bottom third, they always tell a story about a guy that got to a point where he was always driving some crappy car as did I, he bought some new fancy car and he got cut the next couple of weeks. And so you never want to have that, but certainly in Houston, I started to feel like I'm a contributor. I'm, my joke was always at New England, I was 53 was my number. And so I said, I'm the 53rd best player on the team. And then Houston, they moved me to 52. So I jumped <laughs> up one spot. But I think I was, you know, I was a contributor. I you know, led the team in special teams tackles. I was seen as a special teams leader. Seeing Shane Leckler, the way he led, the way he did things, just, a, you know, going to be a Hall of Famer, I would imagine. It was good to to be a part of something and I started to feel like yeah I'm I'm a contributor I'm not just some guy straggling at the bottom that you know certainly I got cut my fifth training camp and was done but I, I had some time there where I was I felt like a part of the team well and, compare uh, the two mentalities because you said you think it's a good thing to always be worried about your spot I may push back on you a bit there not not worried just uh never quite comfortable you can act be, like it yeah you you want to you still want to have that because there's younger cheaper healthier people nipping at your toes at all times. i do want you to elaborate on what it does to your performance and mentally for me as an athlete i was at my best when i was completely comfortable in my spot even jovial on the field joking around that's when i was at my best and i could really let my talent show maybe it says i wasn't a a pressure player but when i was worried about whether or not i was going to make the starting lineup much less the team yeah i was not at my best how did that affect you? Did you thrive under that? I, no, I would agree with that. And when I'd say just keep you uneasy, let that drive your work. But when you're out there performing, you got to be a confident guy. I belong out here and it's keep that off the field. Maybe that unease of like, they don't owe me anything. I get cut tomorrow. That maybe helped me. But certainly yeah, in Houston, it's like comfortable, but just I was on the field. I was, you know, I belonged out there. I, I can get everyone lined up. I can run the defense. I can run down on special teams. I belonged out there and I, and I had that confidence that I belonged. And certainly that, that does help performance. Um, and I think yeah, getting that through the surgery helped me have that better perspective of I'm going to see this thing through. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to have fun. Yeah, that, that did help. I'd say. Yeah. Who stood out to you and it may be players that we wouldn't think of that left you with lessons that you still carry today. Yeah, a lot of great, great guys that I played with. 
Cushing was out my first year I was there. That's why I had a chance to play so much defense. We were terrible, 2-14. and 14. Certainly learned a lot from him. Whitney Merciless, like just a phenomenal dude. Incredible routine. Just a professional, the way he conducted himself. Shane Leckler, his leadership, his just understanding of the game. He'd seen so much. I mean, he's he could write a book on a, a good chunk of NFL history with how long he'd been around the game. Seeing him, certainly JJ, a lot of guys on Houston. There's a lot of uh, good dudes in that locker room. Andre Johnson, the way he worked and was quiet, just the quietness of him, but just the the work ethic and just he's one of those guys you walk in the room. If he does say something, you're going to listen because of what he had had done and produced. On there the was field. power in his quietness. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, definitely power. And then, um, you know, Jonathan Joseph, Kareem Jackson, all those dudes are such. You can tell why they've been such good pros is because they have good routines. They take care of their bodies, but they they work extremely hard. They're very detailed in everything that they do. And so there was plenty of guys to learn from in that locker room for sure. So you mentioned after your fifth year, you're cut and you do eventually decide that you're going to move on to something different. I think everyone else decided, but yeah, everyone else. (laughs) That's what I said. I had, I had someone ask me one time, it's like, well, didn't you want to keep playing? Yeah. Well, yeah, I did, but they didn't want me. They didn't want me. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, People just don't get it. They kind of think you try out there on Sundays. How long do you want to play? It's like, as long as they'll have me, but I, I certainly don't want to break down my body and Let's talk yeah. about transitions a little bit because this is a very interesting subject for me. I don't think you make it in a place like the NFL without a laser focus on your goal. Everything we've discussed coming through brain surgery, working out of Iowa like you've never worked before suggests that you were laser focused on this goal, not just a goal, but a, a laudable goal, a goal that's easy to get excited about. Do you think that made your transition a bit difficult? Yeah. Did it make it feel like you were starting completely over? Yeah, I mean, you go from a – even when you're a bottom-of-the-roster guy, and certainly for guys that are top-of-the-roster guys, it's a harder transition because they were elite, elite. But even then, there's 200 guys a year that, that get a chance to play linebacker in the NFL. But, yeah, it's – you know, there's a very select group of – individuals that they get a chance you're at the top of the top of your profession even if you just barely make the roster and so then to go from that to say all right I'm essentially starting over and being so laser focused yes certainly there's maybe things and and networking and things I could have done better I did do an internship one year in Boston which was which was nice but being that laser focused and then all of a sudden being done and saying you know I gave everything I had into this and now I got to move on and do something else. Nobody really cares anymore. And nobody cares if I can take on a lead block, which they shouldn't care. <laughs> like it's good for a conversation. And certainly some people want to get into it more once you get to know them. But all right, now what can you do? And so if you kind of kind of going back to identity, if your identity was in what you did, uh, my identity is I'm an athlete. Your worth can get tied up in that. Your how I feel about myself can get tied up in that. And that's a dangerous place to be, especially with something that is so fickle and something is just complete vanity can go away like a football career. I mean, you have no guarantee of tomorrow in football. It's not for long. And so if that does become your identity, you're on very shaky ground. And so instead of it 
becoming your identity. Because once it does become your identity, then if you perform well, you get a big head. If you perform poorly, it destroys your heart and you just, you're done. Did you control that aspect pretty well? For the most part, yeah. I'd say, you know, I knew what I was. I wasn't Brian Urlacher out there, or Junior Seau. So I, I knew that I was a, a grinder, a guy that, the special teams guy. And, but even me, you have to think about these things. And if you don't, I, you can tell. I mean, the world's only got so much sympathy. I mean, guys are like, oh, they made millions. They're fine. It's like, well, some guys didn't make millions. They made a good amount, but then they, they got to go do something for the next 50, 60 years of their lives, hopefully. And, and so there's, there's challenges in that of just being done and having to start because it is a transition for sure. Well, what I find over and over again with elite athletes or even elite performers in business or wherever you may be is the efforts, not the problem getting up, working their tail off towards a new goal is not the problem. It's finding the new goal. Yeah. And like we talked about earlier, a worthy goal that yeah. can rival what you previously chased, what you yeah. previously pursued and nothing against the banking industry yeah. or wherever you are, but it's not chasing a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. And it's I just think, different. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the tricky part too. And what typically happens is you take the next available path. Yeah. And that next available path may not be the right path. It may just be what's available. So, I mean, did you struggle finding your next goal? So, yeah, once I got done, kind of going back to identity, if your identity is in something else, that's very helpful. If you have something at the top of the house, faith, and then maybe role as a husband, father, but even getting past that, below those roles, you say, I'm not Clay the ball player. I'm Clay the hard worker. I'm Clay the good teammate. I'm Clay the guy that you can count on. Those things all translate. It's different. It's not the same feedback loop. Everything's slower. The NFL, you get graded on every play. You know exactly what you did wrong, which is kind of nice. You know exactly where you stand. No matter what you get into, even if it's somewhat structured, sometimes you feel like you have a blank canvas. Even in banking, I mean, for me, I'm not an overly creative guy. And so I sit down and, and at the beginning, it was like, all right, well, what do I do? Because every minute was laid out for you in the NFL and certainly in college. It's a little bit more complex and it's a little bit more free form when you get out there and everything's just slower paced. And so you kind of lose that feedback loop, which that's a challenge for sure. But going back, you can find meaning in work and, and purpose. A lot of guys who played high level sports college, they, they remember an equipment guy, a training staff member that poured into them, that was very good at their craft, was a great person. And, and there was value in that. They didn't maybe make a whole lot, but you said there's value in work. So outside of income, public notoriety, no matter what endeavor you find, if you make that connection and say, you know, along the way, I've had so many people that valued their work and I valued their work. I can go find value in something I do and be a positive good because you can find someone that'll make your life an absolute hell in, in one of those positions. You can have someone that you'll, you'll be lifelong friends with. And so if you kind of recognize that along the way and just have some humility to say, I'm starting over, I need to go earn it. No matter what you get into, you can find purpose in it. That's such yeah. a, uh, that's a great lesson. I'm glad you phrased it that way because I mean, what I'm hearing is the accomplishment is not the story. And I yeah. think the trajectory of your career sets you up probably to be more successful on that front because there certainly are worthy goals that can rival a Super Bowl. 
yeah. in your personal life, like you mentioned, being a father, being yeah. a husband, being a son. Yeah. And there's certainly worthy goals in work and effort yeah. and understanding that the destination is really not the accomplishment. Well, I think you have a, a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing it, Jeff, and I appreciate you coming. You bet, man. I appreciate it. Thank you.